I never thought it would come to this. But I guess it's time to say goodbye. You, you had a good life and we've been through some wild adventures together, but it's time for you to move on. You're going to a better place. <laughs> Goodbye, old friend. <laughs> Comrade Hamtaro was a great hamster. But it had to be done. We needed the oxygen, John. <laughs> it should have been me, Ryan. It should have been me! I know, John. Here, come here. Come here. I know, I know. Come here, Plum. It's just... At least, like... That wasn't caught on the webcam feed or anything. Since we're not connected yet. Because, like... <laughs> man, that... That's gonna be grim. You're right. You're right. It, it had to be done. And at least no one saw what a, a hot mess I am right now. <sighs> Yeah, no one at all. In additionally good news, our Wi-Fi apparently is connected again. Oh. Hey, everyone. I think we're actually streaming live once more. Oh, my God. Or, you know, as close as you can get to live. No, the round trip, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a few, you know, 20 seconds or so. It's a, it doesn't move that fast over the satellite network. But holy sh shit. Is, is this hypocrisy again? I think it's hypocrisy again. In the late 20-teens... Two siblings realized the one way to solve the world's unsung problems. Sell their dad's minivan, buy a microphone, and smoke a lot of weed. It's hypocrisy. Coming at you live from High Earth Orbit, I'm Ryan. I'm John. And this is Hypocrisy. So it's been a bit of a bit of a while, right? A bit of a wild ride to get here. I feel like we owe the audience a bit of an explanation for where we've been. What do you think, Ryan? We, we really, really do. Um, so for those of you that remember our last broadcast, uh, we kind of stormed a public radio station. Uh, which turned out to be a bad, bad idea. That is much worse of a crime than we thought it was. Yeah, it turns out that public radio is kind of like the mail. If you tamper with it, that's a federal crime. That is a, like, lock you up for a long, long time kind of crime. And on top of that, apparently we've caused so much general mayhem during our road trip through the states and uh, racked up enough driving under the influence charges that we... Uh, well, they decided that we didn't belong on Earth anymore. But they they didn't want to kill us because, honestly, I think it got a little personal and they wanted us to suffer. I feel like the words, 
cannot technically apply capital punishment came up, but they sounded, like, real sad about that fact. Yeah, so instead, they shot us into space, and we are currently operating a, um, we're basically doing community service. See, they, they basically identified that we are actually very good at getting creative and solving problems. So they figured they would just isolate us from the rest of the world so we couldn't create new problems. And as such, we are now kind of like an orbiting, flawless problem solution network. Yeah, it was actually kind of sweet. It was like a great moment of national unity. In this, in our troubled times, you don't see those enough. But, you know, the delegates from, from the US, they were like, hey, we really don't want these fools clowning around our country anymore. Does anyone else want them? And then all the other countries were kind of like, nah, we good. Um, but then the Russians were like, hey, we've actually got this old Cold War era space station that we're not doing anything with. And the US was like, great, we'll just put them up there. And we were like, can we do some, can we solve some problems maybe? And they were like, that sounds, do, do what you want, do what you want. Yeah, Russia's just like, yeah, as long as the US hates you, like, we're, we'll just tuck you away. Exactly. We'll put you somewhere. Yeah, just tuck us into bed. And the U.S. is like, we have these people that we don't like. Could you could you hide them in Moscow for now? And <laughs> Russia was like, mm, we're not putting these two in Moscow. Uh, no. That would be ill-advised. We saw what they did to your country. Uh, we're going to put them in space. Right. And um, this is totally fine for us. For one thing, space technically has no government, technically has no laws. All the weed we can smoke. Uh yeah. They had a, a little kind of like an oxygen garden set up, had some fruits and veggies too. That was pretty pretty nice, um, you know, keep the whole thing sustainable. However, it did use a lot of water that we really needed for our hydroponic grow up. Um, otherwise, we were going to run out of, you know, the little weed that we smuggled up here in the first place very quickly. And how are we going to get creative to solve all the problems that they put us here to solve? Well, exactly. We need to be able to get creative. We need to be able to solve problems. And that means we need to have some problems to solve, which I hadn't really thought about. Fortunately, you've mentioned our Wi-Fi is back up, which means our computer likely has some problems on it. Oh, that's true. Let's see if we can connect to that Cold War era satellite internet and download ourselves some problems. Let's see. Uh... Yeah. Yeah, okay. For those of you that don't know how I type, I basically take both of my hands and make little, like, uh, cat paws with them and then smash the keyboard really rapidly. And then I go through and I backspace out everything that I didn't want. So this might take a while. You wouldn't think it would work. And in fairness, it rarely does. But when it does, they get surprisingly good results. Oh, it's been so long, right? I'm getting ahead of ourselves. What are we doing looking at problems when we haven't even got creative yet? Oh my goodness, you're right. See, <sighs> sorry, we've been, we're a little out of sorts right now because one, we're very rusty. We haven't been able to reach our dedicated listeners for quite some time, uh, mostly due to being in jail um, and under strict uh no longer allowed to record pod record podcasts on Earth orders from every world government at once. But those only apply on Earth, baby. Yeah, so now uh, we're getting back into that. Also, we haven't been smoking lately, mostly because someone was hogging all the oxygen 
<clears throat> Hamtaro. Yeah, looking at you, uh, Hamtaro. Speaking of which, get can you get him into the little hamster coffin? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, let me we just. Gotta, we got to get him out the airlock. Yep. Just... Yeah, here. Um, one second. We got to send uh, Hamtaro into space. Just shoot him out the airlock real quick. Uh, let me just. Uh, all right, get him loaded in and hit the button. Godspeed, you beautiful angel. My goodness. Man, don't you ever... It's weird how I always get, like, a little lightheaded. Like I'm, like, oxygen-deprived after uh, standing next to the airlock and we shoot stuff out. Or, you know, whenever I smoke, like, vent smoke out that way so things don't get too stuffy in here. Shame we didn't have more oxygen, though. But now Hamtaro's gone. Yeah, now Hamtaro's gone. And uh, let me just check our uh, readings. Oh, there's those campos again. And, oh, oh, yep, yep, mm-hmm. We are back on balance. Our weed is now providing enough oxygen to balance out our smoking of said weed. Finally. <sighs> and who said we, we were going to die up here, <laughs> apart from everybody that sent us up here? Uh, Non-believers, all of them. Does that mean it's time for us to get creative, Ryan? Absolutely. I feel... We've earned ourselves a little smoke sesh after uh, buying ourselves at least a few more months of oxygen. We should probably fix that leak at some point, though. It is on the outside, though. Like, I don't, I don't know. We, we haven't, sorry, listeners, they didn't really train us for any of the space stuff. No. And neither of us have found a shorter straw. Like, all the straws in this station are regulation size and identical. So we haven't been able to decide who should go and do the spacewalk first but as soon as we figure out how to make shorter straws we'll draw them and <laughs> we'll we'll deal with that but for now we just got to get creative we're going to solve problems for you from space which will be great we've already solved the first crisis of our space journey which was uh the whole oxygen situation so this should be smooth sailing right i mean normally our episodes that just absolute downhill tumbles of, of problem after problem after problem. And I mean problems for us, not the problems that we solve for you, but... Uh... It was ill-advised. I feel we bit off more than we ch could chew when we decided to leave our studio and go across the country on a road trip. It was just... I, I wouldn't call it a comedy, but there were errors involved. But now we're back in the safety of our new studio. Yeah, we, we found a new bottle. Exactly. And much much like a uh, colonial era ship, um, we, we are best viewed from within a bottle and not like encroaching on your shores. I don't know if you've ever tried to take the ship out of the bottle and put it in water. It does not go well. It's just not designed for that environment. We're bottle people. We're little bottle babies. Nurture us. Speaking of being nurtured, let's get creative. Let's get fucking creative, buddy. Okay, but like, oh fuck, that is a <coughs> oh, that's a cloud. <coughs> oh fuck! Hey, wait, wait, let me hit the airlock one more time. Grab onto a handle. Ah. <coughs> <coughs> You're not kidding about that lightheadedness. What's the uh, what are the oxygen stats in now? Uh, uh, don't worry, they'll they'll bounce back up. 
once uh, the air re-enters the room. But, uh, whew. yeah, that's, uh, we shouldn't do that more than three times a day. Otherwise, we will die. Oh, noted. All right, so did we, uh, did that problem come through? Oh. Did you finish with the backspace key over there with your creepy little cat paws? Yeah, yeah, I actually, I've looked up a very effective problem, so... I guess, I don't know, things are looking a little weird with the internet right now, um, but there's a lot of problems already saved on this computer. Okay. So I think if we get through this backlog, we'll we'll be, like, you know, whipping ourselves back up into problem-solving shape and exercising our brains, and we'll be ready for uh, importing new problems once we've solved what's before us, because chances are these haven't been solved, ever. We'll consider this kind of a warm-up. It's not like... It's history or anything, you know? Like, these are cutting-edge, modern problems coming to you from space. All right. Let me look at the the first problem. Let me have a look here. Okay. Ah, I see. This one, I think... I think we can can take a stab at this one. Problem number one is... uh, It just says here, nuclear war. I think we I think we can we can do something with that, right? Yeah, let's solve nuclear war. It's about time. No one's done it yet. And I feel we are in a unique position to solve it because we are removed from the consequences of nuclear war and as such can be amoral arbiters. We're objective external observers. Yeah, we're almost it's almost like we are alien gods just looking down upon lesser beings. Which before we just did that side to side. So it's different now. Sure. Yeah, you, we were alien gods who happened to be at the same eye level <laughs> as as everyone else. I'm not that tall. Uh, actually, you know, I didn't realize there's a, there's a page down key here. There's actually a lot of information here. It actually seems like someone else maybe proposed a solution to nuclear war. It says a Roger Fisher... In, in the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Let me just, let me just expand that out here. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's written quite a lot about this. He's got a few pages here. Let, let me see what his solution is. Um, just read the first couple lines. Okay, Roger, geez. Um, Roger Fisher opens his article, Preventing Nuclear War, with the line, Preventing Nuclear War? Boy, have you got a problem. And I'll just point out that he has italicized the word you. That was not me editorializing. <laughs> Sounds rough, buddy. Stopping the apocalypse? Woof. Let me know how that works out for you. Okay, okay. In the, the, so my favorite thing about any conversation that we have to have about nuclear war is it isn't about stopping the apocalypse. It's about <laughs> deciding, like, when is it okay to cause the apocalypse? Right, like there, it's it's always like, oh, we need to put in like all these like countermeasures in place and stuff, so we know that if we're gonna end the world, we're doing it at the right moment. <laughs> like there ever is one. Yeah, yeah, you can't just do it because like ah, uh, you let your raspberries sit in the fridge too long and they got a little moldy, and you were really looking forward to that parfait. That is, you know, we can run that through the decision matrix. Not an appropriate reason to end the world. Yeah, other, like, inappropriate uses of nuclear weapons, like, oh no, civilian targets, um, at all, like, they're pretty horrific. Uh, so I feel, I feel like it's good that we're not on Earth 
for this conversation because I, I think it's important for us to not only get high enough to get creative about this, but we also have to be removed enough to try and understand the minds of the people that are considering, okay, how do I make sure I kill millions in the right way? In the right way. Uh, because, you know, if you're too emotionally invested, that can alter your judgment. And that actually seems to be the crux of what Mr. Fisher is proposing here. Oh, yeah. No, actually, honestly, I like the cut of this guy's jib. This guy was clearly getting very creative back in the day. Probably a pioneer of the hypocrisy style of solving problems. Obviously, we perfected it in the modern era, but like in the past, there were definitely many people who attempted to get creative in order to come up with more interesting solutions than their uh, much more sober counterparts in government. Um, and this solution, this one's a doozy. So the suggestion's quite simple. You put that needed code in order to activate the nuclear launch sequence. Put that little code number in a little capsule. And you implant that capsule right next to the heart of a volunteer. And this volunteer would carry with him a big, heavy butcher knife as he accompanied the president everywhere he went. If the president ever wanted to fire nuclear weapons, the only way he could do so would be for him first, with his own hands, to kill one human being. The president has to say, George, I'm sorry, but tens of millions must die. He has to look at someone and realize what death is, what an innocent death is. Blood on the White House carpet. It's reality brought home. And honestly, this is metal as fuck. I love it. Like, every every tiny detail right here. It's deeply metal. And unfortunately, his friends at the Pentagon didn't agree. Uh, their response when he suggested it to them was they said, My God, that's terrible. Having to kill someone would distort the president's judgment. He might never push the button. You know, the, the button that kills <laughs> millions of us. <laughs> now, Now I don't know what to think, though, because it sounds like... What Roger Fisher is suggesting is that the president has to be more emotionally involved in the decision to murder all of life on Earth. Like, if we, you know, if we, if we take the idea that a bunch of detached alien super beings on a space station have the more objective viewpoint, aren't we arguing that we should put the president on a space station and just, like, let him watch from above with no personal stake as he decides whether or not to end the world as we know it? I mean, clearly, the case being made here is you don't want him to end the world. This is a failsafe. You know, like, this... Like, it is human nature to not want to die. Like, even if this guy views it as, like, his solemn, like, martyr duty to let the president hack him open with a butcher knife that he's been carrying around for years... He, it, there's still going to be some level where he subconsciously endears himself onto the president and is friendly with him, builds up a bit of a rapport. Maybe they get like kind of like a like Marvel superhero, like they make sassy comebacks at each other. Like, yeah, that just happened whenever like we invade a new country. Oh no, they've got a buddy relationship. Yeah, exactly. Like you get like it's uh like a um Batman and uh, Alfred kind of situation. You know, like he would, there's no way he would not try to be at least a bit of an Alfred figure, maybe even a father figure to the president, you know? Now, Ryan, I've read a lot of Batman comics and I don't remember the one where Batman and Alfred had a tacit agreement that in an emergency, he would slice out Alfred's heart without a second thought. You gotta read more Frank Miller, my friend. It is only natural, though, that 
you know, uh, George, I'm glad he has a name, this makes it very easy, uh, that George would attempt to endear himself to the president. It's like a, it's like a, like a pet, like a house cat, right? They have evolved to understand that by imprinting onto a human owner, they will be fed, they will be housed, uh, they will have someone scoop up their poop. And, uh, you know, in the case of some hamster pets, uh, they will eventually have a military-style funeral where they get launched into the vacuum of space. They understand that this is all in their best interests. And thus, like, I don't know, the experiment here is already compromised because George is going to try to compromise the president's judgment even against his own will. He's just going to do it. Like, if someone has the ability to ask to kill you at any moment, you're going to try and be nice to them. Like, that's just going to happen. <laughs> you're you're going you're gonna to invite them over for, like, karaoke night and just try to, like, you know, just get some, you know, outside of work situation. Like, I, I have definitely befriended people because I knew they were involved in conversations about me getting fired. <laughs> and probably bought myself months of stable employment out of that. <laughs> yeah, you're going to invite them over to, like, family barbecues. You're going to introduce them to your wife. You know, maybe make them the godfather of your child. Yeah, whatever is whatever is necessary to make it so when he asks for that knife, he starts weeping and does like one of those like, oh, oh I can't fucking do it, man. I can't. I can't do it, man. And then you're like, shh, it's okay, Mr. President. And then you take the knife and you slit his throat because the president's the only person who's legally allowed to kill you. Game over, man game fucking over we just blew a giant hole in this whole plan and then you reveal that the president actually had the codes implanted into his heart oh fuck and like they have to like like that is what sets off the launch thing like the president has to sincerely ask to start it and then the guy's like george is just like okay mr president then kills the president and takes out the launch codes. Sure, he, like, goes to give the president a hug and then, like, just stabs him in the chest and it does a dope, like, fucking Death of Electra-style freeze frame. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, the president is just like, what? And as his vision darkens, George holds up the codes and says... Codes in one hand, still beating heart in the other. Your will will be done, Mr. President. When, when everyone was, like, focused on, like, nuclear warfare and everything, like, no one was really thinking much about, like, how to accurately put a uh, pill capsule with a piece of paper that has a note on it. Oh, my God. What if it gets soggy? What if you do all that and you pull it out and you can't read the codes? <laughs> capsule technology. Not, not what it was. Oh, this is, this is a Swiss cheese fucking yankee doodle plan right here i want to jump back to the very good idea that i had earlier which is that george would definitely punch the president's heart out with his bare hands and because that that actually contains a, a a kind of a second delicious layer of double stuffed oreo on this problem which is that clearly at this point i think i went into this thinking that the idea was to uh you know, allow the president to somehow take a more objective viewpoint to to get out of the um you know to to create the barrier to create a higher barrier to entry for causing the apocalypse. That's the thing though. What this is doing is not making the president like decide really hard if he actually wants to end the world. What this is doing is 
Honestly, just trying to make sure that he can't end the world. Clearly, this is not intended to be a hurdle. This is intended to be a full-on fucking barrier. Like, we tell the president, Mr. President, you can definitely, definitely fire the nuclear payload whenever you want to. But in reality, he's not gonna do it. One, he fucking loves George. Again, godfather to George's firstborn, okay? Mm. The president is not going to kill George. George had a threesome with him. Like, they, they swung. <laughs> they're, they're deeply connected. They are fluid bonded. Uh, <laughs> one... George is the one with the knife, okay? So if the president comes at George... George is not going down without a fight. Like, George is subconsciously going to, like, try to befriend the president so he doesn't make the move. But when it really comes down to, like, you or the president and you have the knife... (laughs) Absolutely. And here's the thing. If this is secretly, like, again, we're pitching it to the president as a thought experiment. We're just saying hey, George is there to make sure we really want to do this. But what we really mean is George is there to stop you doing this. George is not like, you know, little Georgie McAllister from The Counting. George, George is fucking, he knows Krav Maga, okay? You come at George, you're hitting the mat. George does capoeira and like knife shit too on top of that. Like he does his like, his legs are pure capoeira. Like he's doing the Eddie Gordo spins with that. Sure. And then his hands have the knives. And that's why he mastered Capoeira. Is, uh, so he had a fighting style that only had three punches in the uh, Tekken loadout. Yeah, and, and this guy's job is to carry a big knife. So it's like he's two fighters at once. He's George, motherfucker. And like honestly, at the end of the day, he is in place so that any president that would ask for the ability to start nuclear Armageddon would be put down. He doesn't even need, like, there's the threat of violence. It's never gonna get to violence, though, because, like, George is a man who is paid to carry a big knife, and so you know that anytime you look over at him, he's, like, flipping it in his hands, he's doing knife tricks, he's picking his teeth. You look at that guy and you're like, you consider asking him to let you kill him, and you're like, there's another way. <laughs> that That is definitely another angle. Um, there's the syncophant, uh, like, George, who, like tries to like buddy up to the president and just try to make the president feel bad about asking to kill him and then there's the horrible like you want to fuck around and find out george that is just menacing as all hell and just kind of hangs in the background playing with that knife staring at the president just begging like all right want to find out sure yeah and the president looks up and sees george staring at him and it he can never quite tell like is george threatening him or is this a come on? Because they had that one magic night. <laughs> Indeed. And honestly, once once things get that complicated, you're never going to end the world. It's a very intense relationship. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, we should have a uh, bisexual murder man hanging out with the president at all times uh, with the nuclear launch codes in his heart. Allegedly. Uh, whatever he decides to do with that information or whatever the president decides to do with that information is between them. And I mean, the president's wife as well. Apart from any of that, I think that that is really the best place to have like our, our nuclear codes stashed. It's it's almost like like the bombs that can end the world are like their bait for like the mad kings of yesteryear that would just like set entire towns ablaze. And then everyone would be like, oh, fuck, we didn't realize he'd go that far. Oh, it's a litmus test. Now we have a George around. 
who the president knows he can ask about this, which means that we will know and we will have a George on hand to uh, kind of like answer the problem ASAP. Right, right, right. Like really, okay, preventing nuclear war, that's easy, right? Get rid of all the nuclear weapons. Done. We can all agree nuclear war is bad. Let's just do it. I I would like to know who would like to start nuclear war, too. But that's that's the thing. That's the whole role of George, because we get rid of the nuclear arsenal, but we don't tell the president. We don't tell any world leaders, because, as you say, it's bait. So they'll just be sitting there, and, like, the moment they go old Mad King on us, then they're like, that's the first thing they'll go for, right? It's like a baby with a cookie. Uh, they'll they'll say, hey, I'm thinking about launching some nukes. And then George says, you're too far gone, mate. And that's when he ends it. Yeah, <laughs> That's how we know. And the best part of all that is, especially if we got rid of all the nukes, the one president or world leader that got the drop on there, George, because there'd be, you know, there'd be a uh, Georgeovsky or whatever the fuck um, <laughs> in Russia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, have you seen Putin? <laughs> It's going to be a fair fight. Those apps. Yeah, so there'd be one for each of them. And <laughs> the best part would be when you kill them and you actually get the codes, you unroll it and it's just dick butt. Which, look that up if you're younger than 25. Um, because th- that meme is probably really dated by now. I think uh, you unroll it and it's like a photo of one of the best days that the president ever had with George. And the president just remembers that the good times and they look down and see what they've done. And they just take their own life at that point. It's, it's, it's a Polaroid of them double teaming his wife. That's what I said. And high-fiving and giving each other like a thumbs up towards the camera. And you're like, who's, who's manning the camera? Oh, big surprise. There's a, there's a second George, a Steve. A double, double George. Yeah, he, he's the one that watches and makes sure that George just doesn't cry, try to kill the president willy-nilly. And I, I just want to be clear because this is getting very heteronormative. George can be a male George or a female George. It is a name that can be applied both ways. Um, and as we've said, George is bisexual. And so kind of this applies regardless of the gender of the president or their significant other as well. So. Um. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we, we are speaking in the language of the article and the hypothetical that they were spinning, which were largely revolved around the president, the president's wife, and uh, their bisexual friend George that they fuck sometimes and might have to kill in order to start nuclear war. But yeah, so I think, you know, Roger Fisher was definitely onto something. I think we have, in our way, as experts in getting creative, improved it by taking it to the next level. I think he was proposing, you know, sycophant George. He was saying that we should just have someone that the president won't want to kill. He was he was proposing cuck George. And, like, not, not, not in an offensive way. Like, I literally mean, like, an actual cuckold George. Well, no, I think in this case, you're saying that George would make a cuckold of the president, but there's definitely some cucking involved, for sure. On, like, probably both levels, you know, like, he's trying to, he's trying to make the president not murder him. Someone's getting cucked. Yeah, you know, there, there's, it's, you, you've seen political dramas. They, they get up to all kinds of shit in DC. Safe to say... This is a rough draft. This is a V1. We've taken it, we've, we've, we've crafted it, we've refined it into... We've created the Windows 10 of the plot where you put the nuclear codes next to the guy's heart. Not the Windows 8, let us be very clear. The Windows 10. We have suggested that you need a elite, highly trained knife master that is with all world leaders at all times, and who has... 
the executive authority to take down any leader who steps out of line. I think that would, would do a lot for the world, frankly. And yeah, nuclear war. Some, get, get rid of them. Who needs them? Yeah, like, what are we doing? Come on. <laughs> you, you look at the havoc we caused to get sent up here to the space station, and we didn't even have nukes. But imagine if we'd had it, George. Oh, Lord, we'd be dead already, and none of you would be putting up with any of this, because we propose such radical ideas. Do you think one of these days, one of our solutions will be the end of us? Doubtful. I think our life has only been on an upward trajectory, if you really consider that before all of this started, uh, we didn't have a van, uh, we didn't have the money for a podcast, we didn't have crops of the finest ganja. We, we've overcome many things. We've We've literally outsmoked Satan. Oh, wait, no, we lost that badly. Never mind. We lost that really badly. We oh, gave it our all, and isn't that what it's really about? Yeah. And, and now, look at us. I mean, we're, we've got this brand new, well, quite old, but new to us studio in this, some would say derelict, I would say retro Soviet space station. I will be honest, this is not coming without cost, because we are actually mandated to, to record and run... Um, state-mandated science minutes for all of you. Yep. Fortunately, we had a lot of time on our hands while the Wi-Fi was down, uh, so we've actually recorded all of these, like, months ago. Yeah, so we, we got all of our science out of the way immediately, and then uh, now we've got a backlog of that, so we'll be running those every episode. Now we can just focus entirely on smoking weed and solving problems, so... No science to get in the way of that. Took us a whole week. Let me just check the list here and um, see what is the first one on the list. Okay. Yep. There it is. Uh, episode one of our state mandated science minute. Hamster care in space. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hypocrisy State-Mandated Science Minute. I'm Ryan. And I'm John. And this is Hamtaro. What a little cutie-wootie. Oh, yeah, you are. See, Hamtaro, our precious little bundle of joy, is a hamster that's been sent up to space along with us that we are studying to see the impact of living in space on hamsters and other small rodents. Um, Hamtaro is actually the only animal they sent up with us and he has a few lesions but he's doing great so far and uh we've learned a lot of really interesting things about taking care of hamsters in space haven't we john we have hamsters you know on earth on space they're tender creatures and they're not hard to take care of but you do need to make sure you give them lots of love and affection you know choose a good habitat. I recommend something absorbent, which can seep up some of the weeping fluids that emerge from your hamster's lesions. Yeah, and, and fun fact, when they're in space, their pus just kind of, like, goes everywhere. Like, it doesn't cling to their bodies. It kind of, like, squirts out in little globules and just splatters in your face every once in a while. And that's why I recommend you pick a cage that you line on all sides with towels, like every side. Don't leave a crack there. Yeah, uh, no space there. Which is fortunate because uh, anytime you do bring a, a hamster to a new habitat, you should just cover their cage with a light cloth or 
heavy layer of toweling uh, for a few days to give them time to get yeah. used to their new environment. Especially in the gr the low gravity environment in space, you know, like, hey, this little buddy does not want to be disturbed and freaked out by adjusting to a whole new reality, don't you? Don't you? He does not. Mwah. He just kicks his little legs. He does not understand why he floats around. Love you, Hamtaro. One thing that helps with all of these, you know, little science critters is they do help improve morale on the ship. Uh, we feel like Hamtaro is a son to us. Oh. Genuinely. And we should never let anything bad happen to us. And I think that's very important when you're taking care of, you know, small rodents in space. You, you have to treat them as a precious thing to be protected at all costs, no matter what sacrifices you have to make. I never thought I could feel love like this before. And now I know deep in my so recently dethought heart, I would give my own life for Hamtaro. He means that much to me. Means that much to me, too. And honestly, we don't have to. That's the special thing about hamsters and other small rodents and why we do so many experiments on them in space. Turns out they take up very little to almost no oxygen. Like basically me doing this right now, saying this entire sentence that I just said, costs more oxygen for this ship than this hamster does for a whole six months. It's true. Sparking a single marijuana cigarette uses more oxygen than a hamster uses in a whole year. Can you imagine that? It's incredible. Yeah, so no matter what happens, we're always going to have oxygen for you, little buddy, aren't we? Yes, we will. Yes, we will. This has been our state-mandated science minute. And remember, hamsters are great. Love them and never let them down. Well, I uh, hope the listeners at home enjoyed whatever that was. Like, that was <coughs> ages ago, so. Yeah. <coughs> oh. No idea. Oh, fuck. Here, one sec. <coughs> oh, it's getting thick in here. Let me hit the airlock one more time. Hey, <laughs> good idea. Oh, okay, that's the last time we can do that today. <clears throat> um, also, yeah, wherever that locked oxygen leak is, uh, putting Hamtaro down only really bought us maybe a month. So we should probably figure that out. <clears throat> <clears throat> too. Yeah, I don't know how we could be losing oxygen. It's, yeah, I don't it's know. Weird. It's, it's, it's <sighs> difficult to keep up with all, you know, on such an old space station. That's true. Um, let's check out another problem. I think yeah. this has got a few more, a few more on the hard drive here. Okay. Uh, yep, yep. I can see this one. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. They're officially changing their name to KFC. So dropping the Kentucky, the fried, and the chicken just to K KFC. So they're taking up the, the street name of Kentucky Fried Chicken as their official name now. Because I feel they've been KFC for a while. Yeah, it, it seems like people don't know why they're doing this, though. Some some people are saying that, like, it's because they, they can't legally call their food chicken because they're actually not selling chicken. They're selling these, like, genetically modified clone chicken torsos with 
up to six or eight breasts on them each. Um, yes, we 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 know KFC gets all of their chickens from the breast pit. Like they haven't called them chickens for decades now. <laughs> you know, uh, the breast pit being the eldritch flesh beast that they drop hooks into um, Hellraiser style and draw uh, writhing masses of chicken tits out. Right, the business is called Kentucky Fried Chicken because of the one chicken that sits on their board uh, and just gets mundo baked at every board meeting. I respect that chicken. It has great business acumen. Okay, at the same time, I feel that chicken is potentially using marijuana as a means to numb themselves against the abject horror of the creature that they allow to live beneath their headquarters right yeah and that they farm all of their chicken pieces from you know like we're not getting eight piece buckets without you know chickens with eight tits being drawn out of the flesh pit yeah they were only able to grant life to the one flesh pit they did try to to recreate it but it, it seems like the dark magics that they had to invoke maybe only work once maybe it's just that they created the flesh pit more that they awoke it it turns out there is only one Colonel Sanders, and he cast himself into the volcano to create the first uh, breast pit. And as a result, we have no more Colonel Sanders to create new breast pits out of. So they've tried. They've tried to extract DNA from it, but apparently... It no longer resembles really life as we know it. Anyway, this is all this is all old news. Like I don't Yeah. Like well, this is all common knowledge. This is like we we love the breast pit. It, it provides us many many chicken tits to consume. All hail. I I don't know what the problem is here. So let's let's find another one. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's just a couple more. So that uh, that should be enough and then we'll get on some some new problems next episode. Let's see. Weird that journalists today would be trying to present this as a new thing cuz yeah. I like, I, I know it was a big deal back in, like, the 80s and everything when everyone figured it out. And we got that, like, leaked footage, jungle style, of the, uh, like, the jungle, the one about the slaughterhouses and stuff, that book. Sure, Upton Sinclair. Yeah, yeah, it was like that, but smart smartphone footage of the, the breast pit. And everyone freaked out for a bit. But then they remembered how delicious Kentucky Fried Chicken is. Not a sponsor. I guess they we just kind of got over it. We we pushed down the abject horror and uh, just cosmic terror that the breast pit brought upon us, and just accepted that it did mean cheap, delicious chicken whenever we want it. Yeah, I mean it got caught up in the whole like satanic panic of the eighties, right? With like. Dunces and dragons, they're like, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't let our kids be casting magic spells at home. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't be taking to eat the meats of the uh, of the, the breast pit. But luckily, all of those people kind of chilled out once they realized this being was much more evil and ancient than Satan. And thus just didn't qualify, really. Yeah, it was basically like, OK, this is beyond a Lucifer deal. And as long as Lucifer is not involved, we'll... We'll take as many chicken tits on each uh, mound of flesh that we extract from this being as we can. It helps that to even consider the breast pit for more than one or two seconds does drive most people clinically insane. And so that definitely like tamped down what could have been kind of a big PR nightmare, I think, for KFC, honestly. But it, it blew over pretty quickly. Um, 
Plus, it's delicious. So that is why, to this day, everyone knows about the breast pit, and we've all we're all kind of cool with it because KFC yeah. is so delicious, and mm. why playing Dungeons and Dragons will put you in prison for life. And KFC does still to this day have the slogan, "Don't, Don't consider, consider the breast, breast pit." pit. And it's great. It's a great slogan. It's prevented many people from going mad. Well, there is some debate about that because it's kind of like telling people not to think about an elephant. Like, you have to catch yourself. It's a good reminder, but you gotta be careful. Yeah, so find me find me a real problem. Find me something that hasn't already been solved, John. Yeah, okay. Uh... Sorry, I'm just... I like making computer noises with my no, mouth. It, honestly, it, it does help. Like, I have seen the computer go much slower when you weren't making those noises. It's like a watched pot, you know? You gotta, you just gotta learn to work with machines. Yeah, gotta make it boil. Boop! Okay, I think I found one. Uh, a preserved head was discovered at a bog in Lindo Moss, England, in a peat bog in a marsh. And a man who believed it to be the remains of his former wife, a Peter Rain Bart, to give him his full nom de guerre, uh, confessed to murdering her. However, when testing later found that the head was from 250 AD, Rainbart tried to revoke his confession, but was still convicted of the murder. Here's the thing, though. Like, it doesn't sound like anyone was actually looking for him. Like, it, it, it seems like he just heard that this head had been found, and he was like... They finally found it. I'm so excited. I finally get to tell people what I've done. It's like when you when you have, you know, you've left a practical joke for someone. Like you, God, it's like someone who's like hiding in wait, like a little kid who's run behind the back of the couch to surprise their parents, and then like, you know, when the parents walk in, they're like, "It was me all along." Like it seems like Peter just really wanted people to know that he'd done topped his wife back in the '60s. I would say that, but he tried to revoke his confession. <laughs> so, so I think I here. Here's my theory. I think he just figured he got got, so he was gonna like get ahead of the situation and try to confess to everything and get a lighter sentence. But then I don't know. When it turned out it wasn't his wife's severed head, he was like, "Oh, whoops, my bad." <laughs> Not. Not my head, not my problem, and tried to walk away. And they were like, hey, hey, so what's this about uh, you saying you killed your wife who has been missing since the 60s? Because <laughs> you mentioned that to us, so that is a whole separate case. Like, I think he created... Can't prove it, though. <laughs> nobody, no crime. I don't know, man. Nobody, no crime. <laughs> I don't know why I thought it was her head. I, I still feel like he, he maybe just, just got embarrassed. I clearly didn't kill her, though, because that's not her head. <laughs> like, see, so, like, the the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. Or, much likely in this case, the uh, absence of ev evidence is uh, not the evidence of absinthe. Because I think this guy got, like, fucked up on Wormwood and cut his wife's head off in, like, a uh, hallucinogenic haze and forgot which peat bog he tossed it into. Because wouldn't you know? Uh, yeah, it could have been a different bog. That's true. Um, also, 
He probably had the wrong bog. Testing later found that the head was from 258. They preserved now, their heads very well, though. So, like, it could be 250, it could be the 60s, you know? Like, you can't really tell the difference <laughs> because the heads are preserved so well. So, like, on that count, I think it's very fair for him to believe that they found her head and be freaked out by that and be like, okay, I got to get ahead of this. Um, but, like, I don't think he was proud of it because he did try to revoke his confession. What if it was actually because they realized that the head was 250 AD? What if his wife was, like, an immortal? Oh, fuck. You know, because they don't say that the head was buried in 250 AD. They just dated it as, like, yeah, this head kind of started around 250 AD. So, like, maybe he was willing to admit that he'd killed his wife, but he wasn't willing to admit that he'd killed a god. Yeah, because he doesn't want the other gods to, like, come down on you. Like, that's the big no. thing is... Uh, I don't know if any of our listeners are really aware of this, but the reason they have you swear on a Bible um, when you're in court is because court is the only place that gods can see you. So he just... He really did not want to admit to any of that shit in court because like, I mean, like that could have been a friend, you know, and gods can shoot lightning from their eyes. They can throw plagues on your civilization. They can do all sorts of fucked up things to you. So you don't, you, you don't want them to like hear you in court saying I cut off one of your friend's heads and threw it in a pee bog. Yeah, no, I, I think it's very likely that I think you're right. Like, maybe he confessed to murdering his wife because he thought they had him. And he was like, hey, maybe if I confess, you know, I'll get a, a more lenient term. I'll get, uh, you know, life instead of you know, the death penalty. Whatever the case may be. He's he's willing to accept that. But then they, like, walk in and they're like, hey, did you know that your wife uh, was going on 1,700 years old? And immediately he's and just he like, oh, no, she was a god. And he's like, oh, um, did I say I killed her? N nah, nah, dog, that wasn't me. That that was some other guy. That was Poseidon. We're not saying this in court. And then he points up. Right, yeah, one hand drawing a zipper across his mouth. Zip. The other hand just pointed at the sky. <laughs> you want to get lightninged? You want to get smote? Yeah, that's fair. I think I think it is less he's trying to get out of the crime because... I, I'm I'm sorry, like, I feel even without evidence, if you just go in and, like, confess to murder, like, on some level, they, they just gotta take your word for it. They're like, okay, like, we don't have any evidence, but they probably hid the body well. It, like, do we really want people that wander around confessing to murder in society? No. So, we put them away forever. I mean, I, I don't know, it feels like maybe you should have considered that maybe he was just having some sort of, uh, psychiatric episode, like... <laughs> Got him a glass of water at the very least, sat him down. I guess it depends how, you know, effusive no, yeah. was he. Was he very convincing? Did he make a good argument that he killed her? If he was having a psychiatric episode, he would have maintained that the head was her head. <laughs> Even with evidence of the contrary. Well, it, no, no, no. You're mixing up your story. It was her head. She was just a god or demigod. Yeah. That much is unclear. He was trying to back out of it. He was clearly sane enough to know that he didn't want to go to jail for murder. Now that he'd act, and he was sane enough to know that he was trying to get ahead of the murder. 
and everything. Uh, again. Um, and try to try to make sure that like he'd get the minimum sentence. Uh, well, I think we've we understand this problem. Is there is there a solution here? No, I I feel there's a powerful lesson to be learned, and that uh, if you do kill a god, or you are presented with evidence that someone that you murdered in the '60s was a god, don't confess to it in court, because they're that's that's where they're gonna hear you. And it's the one thing you shouldn't they do. They are vindictive motherfuckers. Also, just don't don't kill your spouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, don't do that. That's really bad. That, yeah. Oh, gee. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But if you're gonna, make sure they're not a god first. Yeah. Double check. Triple check. And if they are, just don't admit to it in court. It can be an awkward question where you're like, hey, honey, just... Are you a god? Just so I know. Like, I feel like we should be open in our relationship because they will immediately think you are planning on killing them. They'll go full George on you. Well, I'm, uh... I don't know if I'm comfortable with where that problem ended, but I do think we solved it, so... Maybe... Maybe we should just investigate if there's any more problems on here. I'm really hoping that we can get into the, uh... Into the next episode. There's a clean slate, clean problems, you know. New year, new hypocrisy, new problems, baby. Let's... Let's see. What do we have here? Beep, boop, beep, 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 boop, 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 Bingo. We do have one more. Okay. Here we go, here we go. All right, this one, this one seems like a news bulletin of some kind. But it's gonna be a... I see, okay. Sacramento, California. A robbery suspect who fled into a theater to escape the police became so engrossed in the movie that he failed to notice that the police were evacuating all the patrons behind his front row seat. Alfonso Hayden Jr., 25 of Sacramento, was taken into custody after police switched on the lights and got his attention. <laughs> this is a beautiful piece of police work. I do love that they are making use of alternative methods of suspect apprehension. You know, non-violent, non-confrontational, no risk to uh, any bystanders. And and before you say, hey, this sounds like maybe this was a bit of an accident, a bit of a pratfall, you know, maybe this is less the police doing great police work and more Alfonso Hayden Jr. being, you know, not the best or potentially brightest, no offense, uh, criminal. I will just, I will direct your attention to one last key detail in this problem. The movie that so engrossed Alfonso Hayden Jr., that he allowed himself to be surrounded and captured by the Sacramento police. What movie was that, you ask? A motherfucking Robocop. Serving its true purpose. Now we know, right? We've always suspected that Robocop was a movie scientifically engineered to be so entertaining that anyone committing a crime would immediately get distracted and have to sit down and watch what happens next. And now we know. I, I, I do have to correct you, John, um, because, uh, as usual, you are woefully ignorant of uh, film techniques in the late 80s. However... It's my Achilles heel! Yeah, the, the actual name of that movie, which, don't, get, don't worry about it, most idiots get this wrong all the time. So many people that are just very dim-witted 
uh, just think this is the title of the movie. It's not RoboCop. It's actually a Rotocop. Um, because uh, all of the visual effects for uh, the RoboCop character were not practical effects. They were rotoscoped oh. um, onto a live human actor. And they wanted to show off the fact that the movie, you know, was rotoscoped. So, you know, they, they tried to draw attention to that with the title. Unfortunately, so many people just latched on to the fact that the main character was both a robot and a cop. That they just... And it, it was so close. Rotocop, you know, was so close that they just mixed it up. So That's a fun lesson in film history and the power of catchy branding. But one thing to note is that that technique, the rotoscoping technique, was so realistic and effective at the time. Um, not only did it turn Mortal Kombat into a hit game, it also caused Rotocop to be so engrossing that it solved crimes. And that's something that's very important for movies to do, is be so entertaining they solve crimes. I'm sorry, have you heard of Minority Report? That movie solved crimes. That, mo- that movie solved crimes before they started. There's an uptick, statistically, of countless people who, after watching Minority Report, were so sketched out by the notion that police would start arresting them for crimes they might commit in the future, that they all just became upstanding citizens immediately. That was the power of Minority Report. Like, I mean, much in the way that we built on, uh, you know, the, the George proposition earlier in the episode, Minority Report really built on Robo... Excuse me, Rotocop. Please, thank you. It built on that early success because where Robocop was a movie that was so engrossing that a potential criminal would, you know, in the middle of committing a crime, stop and allow themselves to be captured. Minority Report was configured so that a hypothetical future criminal would get so engrossed that they would allow themselves to be captured. And so for a a good, you know, six to nine months, the police were actually running a very effective sting operation where they would just camp out in random screenings of Minority Report. And they'd look and see who got most invested in the film. And then they'd sort of signal that person out, clear everyone else out of the theater. Very easy to do because, as we said, that person is extremely engrossed in Tom Cruise's antics, you know, using that mm-hmm. cool wave gun, getting his eyes plucked out. Great movie, yeah. great flick. Very engrossing. Ah, ah, they nearly caught me. See? Yeah, see? see? It's powerful. But yeah, and then they just arrest that person. You know, they haven't done any crime, but they were so into Tom Cruise. Because they were contemplating future crime. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of crime movies like this, too. Many of which are made by Christopher Nolan for some reason. Everyone that went and watched uh, The Dark Knight, did you did you see a single major heist pulled off by people wearing clown masks in the following year after that movie came out? Not one, did you? It's, a, it's an interesting thing to think about, but this is less us solving a problem and more us pointing out to a solution that Hollywood has deployed on our populace. Point Break, a very similar case where, you know, great movie, very engrossing, no surfboard-based crime for, like, two years after that movie came out. I did not see a single giant shark slaughter countless beachgoers after Jaws. That was an interesting one, actually, because they had to, they had to show that movie. They had to find a way to show that movie to sharks. So they actually had to create these these new underwater cinemas 
Um, few people have seen, you should look these up on Google, they're incredible. They just like have the whole screen underwater uh, and, and the sharks would watch it and, and they'd think, uh, well, that looks pretty good actually. I do really like the idea of eating all those people. And, and some of the projectionists get worried. Then they get nearby the pier and they're like, oh, I'm coming on up. And they see like an air canister for like a scuba tank. And then they, they have a flashback to the end of that movie and go, oh, fuck. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe maybe they do have a big enough boat. You can't you can't be sure, right? Like there are a lot of boats around. One of them might be big enough. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it, it is genuinely incredible how entertainment, or may I say, edutainment, much like our show is, um, can really change the world for the better, or at least make it a more peaceful place. It's a powerful lesson and one that I think we would all do well to take to heart. Indeed. Speaking of taking things to heart, uh, that alarm that just went off is actually uh, the signal that we have to fall asleep within the next half hour or we will burn through way more oxygen than we should have today um, and probably die tomorrow. So oh. let's uh, <laughs> wrap this up a little bit. Okay, okay. So <laughs> the alarm is scary and I, I do understand that if we really go on for much longer at all we are playing fast and loose with our own lives but one thing just kind of struck me as odd about this problem uh when when the fuck did robocop come out uh 1987 oh oh these are old stories yeah. These are all old problems, aren't they? This, this explains the KFC thing. Like, everyone knows about the breast pit. <sighs> Fuck. I'm sorry. Listeners, it's been a while. We're sorry we wasted so much of your time. We're going to we're gonna do everything in our power to get reconnected to the modern internet, not the internet of the 80s, apparently. Oh, I, I see. The, the satellite receiver, it's pointed at that satellite, but that's... Oh, no. We, sh- we needed that satellite. <sighs> All right, well, Ryan, do you want to just go go point the the, the receiver to John? I got I got bad news. We're we're gonna have to go out and oh, move it ourselves. No. But the straws. We're gonna have to do a spacewalk. But we'll take care of that on next episode uh, when we wake up tomorrow. I'll try chewing the ends off one of the straws. They're metal, but maybe that'll do something. We'll, we'll work out. We'll work out the spacewalk. We'll get on better internet. We'll get you some hot delicious, fresh, finger-licking, good fucking KFC problems for us to munch on together next episode. And, you know, if you want to find us at our last terrestrial contact point, um, you can look us up on Twitter, at Hypocrisy. Yeah, we won't actually get any of those messages until we manage to connect to, you know, regular modern internet but uh send us them and uh we'll i don't know make fun of you privately to ourselves when we do uh it'll be great also it's been a while since we've done one of these due to being you know in prison trapped in a gulag launched into space i know a bunch of stuff it's been a while but uh we do have a bunch of old episodes and generally lazy yeah i don't i wasn't gonna well you know, in our pre-lazy times, we did record a lot of other episodes, which you can go back and listen to at hypocrisy.zone. Maybe listen to the last episode and remind yourself uh, how we got into this wacky mess we're in. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we just want to thank Seth Boyer for that rockin' theme song of ours as uh, we truck on into an uncertain future. 
The song is We All Out Here off the album Get Wrecked, and you can learn more and even buy that album if you go to hypocrisy.zone forward slash Zeth. All right. Anyway, let's figure out who has to go into space. Here's what I'm, I'm suggesting. We just, we toss Hamtaro up in between us, and whoever's gravitational pull attracts Hamtaro's corpse towards us fastest. <laughs> we already shot him into space. Oh no! Sir, with friends and family will scream.